What's up, former party people? This is Jerry, you know, the one who actually combs his hair on the A is for Alcoholic podcast. Now, if you're finding value in listening to the AIFA podcast every week and you want to support sharing it with others, we invite you to become a sustaining monthly or per show contributor. Go to patreon.com backslash AIFA. It's super easy and it only takes a quick moment. It's about as easy as buying one of those pre-cooked space chickens from the grocery store, taking it outside, giving it a big old kiss, and kicking it into traffic. (laughs) Why would you do that? Anyway, you do you, and I'll do me. Again, go to patreon.com backslash AIFA. And with that, people, let's start the show. A is for Alcoholic is a program about recovery. My name is John, and I'm an alcoholic. And my name is Jerry, and I'm an alcoholic. Join us as we go through the alphabet of alcoholism one letter at a time. Hey, Jerry. Hey, buddy. <laughs> I noticed when we did the countdown, you got your NPR voice. You're like, can we count down now? Uh, and now, welcome <laughs> to NPR. And now oh. the sound alcoholism. <clears throat> <laughs> The sounds of alcoholism. It's usually crying somewhere in the closet. <laughs> right. Or just, yeah. Or listening to taking care of business for the 12th time that day. It's mm, just like, oh. Wake up in the morning dog. with a lot <laughs> Megan and I ordered like a pizza the other day. This is totally non taking care of business related, but we ordered a pizza the other day uh-huh. and I got hot wings with yeah. pizza. You're sitting uh-huh. there eating the hot wings, and like I was so tempted to be like, "Yo, this is some good cluck," and just start throwing the bones on the floor. Like, I, it just reminded me of you so much. And I'm like, "Do you remember when oh, John did that?" And Megan's like, some "Yeah, cluck." Yo, this oh, is some good God. cluck. You're throwing chicken bones on the floor at that pool hall in Seattle. Oh yeah, this is some good squawk. I think I said or squawk. squawk. Yeah, it was squawk. squawk or squawk. Yeah, you were with our shared throwing friend. Chicken bones on the floor, fucking of the yes it was called wingmasters was the name of the sports bar i feel like when i was drunk a lot i was i feel like i would just walk around like everything was a was a comedy skit like i was just yeah not like a good one (laughs) like a weird mix between like if jackass had read a bunch of books or something i don't know yeah there's like this this sort of really bad improvisation that was constantly going on in trying to impress or make some make you or make me or make anybody laugh yeah you know funny though there was just me in my living room like (laughs) of like 10 years later being like this is some good cluck i think you know like uh, you could do something like with that, with one of your videos, with taking care of business as the soundtrack of you just eating chicken to. wings. Just if you that. if you I mask it right, mm-hmm. you could mask the bowl, and then you could just throw it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you could do it right in the editing process, but something about taking care of business and eating chicken wings. There might be something in there. I might just I use taking care of business for another <laughs> thing, but I, it's not a bad idea though. I. But I used to have that record. I love that shit, man. That was like my jam when I was eight. That and Hotel California by the Eagles. I thought those were epic songs. They used to roll that one in a jukebox at a bar in Mexico that everybody went to in high school called the the Fish Bar. I I went like once or twice, but I was like, man, I'm not going to Mexico to drink with the guys who beat me up at school. But they would play Hotel California over and over again. And uh, uh, Space Cowboy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve Miller. Everybody thought they were so like everybody was 16, 17 and thought they were so cool and just so shit faced and being like thick Nogales Mexican accent. Just some people call me the space cowboy. Pink champagne on ice. And some call me the gangster love fool. (laughs) You know, and I'm just like, Mm -hmm. dang, my wife used to go to the fish bar and the recreo, the recreo and all that. I didn't, that wasn't my jam. It was like a party. It was 17. Bunch of seventeen-year-olds drunk in Mexico, and then you're it was like able to go into a bar. That's awesome, yeah. right? Ninety-two, ninety-three, before the Rona. Yeah, how you how you holding up over there? We're in, healthy. In the house. We're doing good. Everybody's doing good. Yeah. My kids got Zoom school, and she's tripping on Zoom school. She's like, "Fuck, what do you mean I got to study for an hour and a half every day?" I'm like, "God damn, dude!" Like. You got an hour of Zoom meeting, an hour and a half of studying. That's two and a half hours as opposed to a six-hour school day. Like, you're doing great, kid. 
She's even... already forgotten about what school was like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't feel like I feel like it's different, but I don't know that it would necessarily be the worst thing in the world. I don't know. I don't have children. So, I mean, I don't know what it's like to teach her or be with her in an academic setting, you know, my, but I my feel like school all the time. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I mean, I again, I have no reference or concept, but I don't know that school was always the best place for me to be. I <laughs> I did not have a good time going to school every single oh, day. I, yes, and I can relate. I didn't start hating school till about the fifth grade, though. So mm -hmm. she's still, as far as on my personal timeline, of course, she's a different person. School didn't really start getting shitty till about, well, I didn't start realizing it was shitty till the fifth grade. Mm-hmm. She's in the fourth, so she's got like one more year. She's like tween. She's tweening it up. She's ten. It's ten, yeah. Okay. Um. So, what are we gonna talk about today? And if you haven't, if you if you're tuning in now and you're like, "What the fuck are these guys talking about?" Then you're in the right place. Um, <laughs> I tell you, Ace found it by accident. <laughs> right. I know. I know. I keep it's assuming that somebody's like an am dial somewhere right. are they just like ooh, a's for alcoholic this must be about beer bong technology so well i i don't think you need much for that for technology i don't know if they've gotten like i don't know um so i, I wanted to talk about today is the letter s and i thought that suggestion or suggestions would be a good place to start and that sounds a little bit if you if you hear it, like I hear suggestions and it's kind of this sounds like something a hypnotist would do, right? You know, we're yeah. just going to suggest a few things to you. But I feel like at fundamentally the I was thinking about this earlier. I was taking a nap before I fell asleep and was almost late. I was late to record the podcast this afternoon. Um, Fundamentally, recovery is about change. It's about changing your entire way of thinking, your entire life, everything that you do, every single aspect, every single choice, right? I mean, mm -hmm. ultimately, everything you do is different from what you were doing when you were drinking. Right. It's the same, but different, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Wait, you still have to pay the bill. Before huh? we start, I wanted to say off the top of the hour, I want to... Uh, Apologize for the vocal quality on my end because my garage band just totally, completely just crashed. So, okay. I just want to say that my end will probably sound like I'm in a robot tin box. You know? <laughs> well, we are aware of the technical difficulties and uh, we will, uh, I'll send you the link for the other, um, for the other audio yeah. program. Yeah. Okay. In the meantime, I'm in my, my Rona, my Rona <laughs> computer. I got to stop making the Rona jokes. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Anyway, so you sound great that. to me right now, but you sound um, great to me too, buddy. Robust suggestions, and we change our life entirely. So all these things are happening, and we have to learn how learn how to to wake up in the morning and make our bed and pay our bills and relate to our loved ones and and all of these things. And much like school and feeling this sort of I mean, oppression is a strong word, but feeling forced to do things, I rarely ever felt good about it. I rarely ever did well at it. And I rarely ever, it rarely ever stuck when I was forced to do things. And I think in some certain circumstances, that's, you know, if somebody's doing something really detrimental and horrible and, you know, some people go to jail and, and jail causes them to recover because right. of the actions that taken so that in that sense you're forced to and and at least you're forced in a different direction so when i got sober it was through my sponsor and his way of teaching was was totally suggestive it was totally not crack down and you better do this or you're gonna die right <laughs> and i don't know that i would have been able to stick with it and or be be as positive as I was in in yeah. such a bad headspace if it had been presented to me in any other way then this is for you to decide and there's nothing I can do nor do I want to to change you if you do not want to change yourself and 
I I found that to be such like that was really that was a really important thing because I don't know about you, but I was stubborn as hell in the beginning. Like I didn't want to go to the meeting. I didn't want to get sober. I wanted to because what I wanted was to drink without consequences. That's what right. I wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't want to. The only reason I got sober is because I was like, maybe I could, maybe I got to clear my head so I can figure out how to drink without consequences. Hmm. So um, I think like that was a really important thing was this idea of suggestion and choice. Um, I don't think that it could have happened any other way for me. It was, it was, and I do recall going to several meetings and kind of like sneaking in the back and then leaving until finally I got the guts to actually ask somebody who became the guy who became my sponsor and like, and say like, Hey, what's up with this? What's up with this, this, this program? What's up with what, how do we do this? I don't, I remember telling him, I don't really think it's going to work, but I got nothing else going on. So Mm -hmm. maybe we should try this. And he said, if that's what you want, and he was super casual about it and said, here's my address and my phone number, and you come to my house next Wednesday or Thursday or whatever it was, and and we just started talking and reading. Um, I don't know. Were you, you, you never felt forced or? No, nah, never felt forced. Everything. Yeah. I was like hearing a car horn beeping or something. So I was like, what the fuck is that? But no, I never felt forced. And it's really funny. Listen, it's it's just my perspective is so different because when I came into recovery, when I came into sobriety initially, it wasn't about trying to find a way of moderation. Like my whole uh, perspective on it was so different because I was so tired and fucking fed up and so scared that I just wanted to figure out a way to get it out of my life and not have to depend on it anymore. So for me, there was no bargaining on that end. There was a lot of bargaining on other ends, though, like doing the hard emotional work or the hard like internal work that would ensure that I would continue to, you know, work my to have a recovery, you know, because they always say working your program or working your recovery. And it really is work. You'd like have to work on yourself and who you are as a person and work on your character and in ways try to suggest because I think a lot of times. I look at I looked at it like a zero sum game. I either win or lose. There was no there was just a binary. It was either do or don't. There was no shade of gray as far as my mental like taking care of myself mentally. I was either recovered or not recovered. There's not like this weird middle place where I was like working on my recovery. So I was mm-hmm. in recovery, you know. So for me going into that room like I still hung out in the back. I still hang out in the back. And that's mostly because I must be like a Morrissey song where I'm painfully fucking shy or something. I just, <laughs> I have a lot of self-doubt. So like, I feel like a lot of what I, I feel like my contribution is listening more than anything else. Whereas they always tell you the opposite is to speak up unless you're too long winded. Then they're like, shut the fuck up. You know, it's like really <laughs> weird, but it is a program that's worked by a bunch of alcoholics who contradict themselves constantly. So to take everything you're given in that setting as far as recovery goes to take it all. You got to kind of take it with a grain of salt, like a suggestion instead of a hard rule. You know, I think the only hard rule is don't, don't drink anymore. That's it. Yeah. That's really, and then there that's you learn it. how to cope because like you were saying at the top of this conversation, you have to change everything, everything, but you also change like it change. Everything stays the same, but changes. Do you know what I mean? So it's almost like you still have your life routine, but instead of your right hand, now you got to do it all with your left hand and learn how to do it all with this non-dominant thing, you know, it's mm-hmm. like non-dominant coping mechanism, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you, you just said you got to, you got to change everything and you're, you're, it's a suggestion you can't be forced. What the fuck did you just say that I was gonna I was gonna comment on? I don't remember now. Oh, about that the non-binary. It's either give or take. <clears throat> well, yeah, because it's it's and it's it's a whole it's it's run by a bunch of alcoholics who contradict themselves constantly. <laughs> and I have lived in contradiction for most of my life. Absolutely. Like, I feel like I feel like that's a huge thing where. You know, especially while drinking, like, well, I'm I'm a really nice, sweet and sensitive guy until I've 
have too much to drink and then I'm angry and, and sad and depressed and mm. and then rageful. I wasn't too rageful, but there were moments where I would like go off and fucking yeah. freak out on people and whatever. I mean, there's plenty, there's plenty of moments. So I just, I feel like imposing any rules. Oh, I know what I was going to say is that you said the only rules that you have to stop drinking. And even that is if you like, I think it, the, the wording right. is, the desire to desire stop drinking. To stop so drinking. if you if you get hammered after a year or two or three or ten or twelve, they're like, hey, are, did you still want to stop? Because you can come back. Like you don't have right. to stay no, away. That's really good. That's really good right? to throw out there. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that is really good to throw out there because you can you can be, yeah, you can work your program be sober twenty years and go back again learning from that time you were sober you know you don't throw that all away so you're right yeah i think i misspoke when i said that's the only rule i i, I guess i'm more talking for me personally yeah but i also want to but i also want to make sure that that idea is out there that it is a desire like you could still drink and go to meetings you may not pick up as much i don't know if i ever told this story <laughs> and i probably told it yeah. on the podcast before but i try i when i was like nearing my bottom I was having all these problems with suicidal ideation, a lot of problems with, between my wife and I with a lot of rage, you know, and a lot of depression and a lot of jealousy and shit. So I, I know I've told this story. I went to a psychiatrist and he told me it's 50 bucks an hour. I gave him the 50 bucks. I told him what was going on with me. He said, do you drink? I said, yeah. I said, how much do you drink? I said about almost a fifth of whiskey. Well, it was about a fifth of whiskey a day, a day at that point. And he gave me back my 50 bucks and was like, I can't help you because you're an alcoholic. You need to go into rehab like you need to detox and fucking sober up he's like because whatever suggestion i give you whatever perspective i give you it's not going to work because you're drunk you're not going to pick it up you know you just can't it's just you're not capable of it and i don't feel like an honest person taking your money right and so i feel that same way about drinking and attending meetings like the rule the rule not the rule the suggestion is you need a desire to stop drinking so you go to a meeting and you're still drinking. That's fine because you're still making that step. You're still making the effort. So at least you're right. making the fucking effort. It's just, what are you going to pick up when you're in there drunk? You know, and, and there's no judgment on my end, you know, just, no. just don't be a strong arm in my ass in the parking lot. We're great. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think like what that therapist did was probably more important, impactful and powerful than if he Ooh. had. Taking your 50 up. bucks, <laughs> right? Up, dude, it really <laughs> fucked me up. Yeah, and like it really started my spiral into sobriety, actually, my uh, downward spiral into recovery. That was kind of one of those aha moments, you know? Honestly, though, I took the 50 bucks and went to a bar and drank it. Of course I drank you did. it. All, like, I drank it all in like fucking three hours, you know? Like, yeah. I remember walking my bike up in front of um the Black Forest Bar in downtown oh, Eugene. Oh, no. Sitting down and being like, give me a double bourbon. Double beaming, double beaming Coke, you know, no ice, just warm. I just want to look at it. And I remember staring into that, that fucking rocks glass and it was like a black hole. And I was just like, this is it. This is where you live now, dude. And I was like, fine, fuck it, you know. But yeah, it was, uh, it definitely like, it sunk in though. You know what I mean? Like over time, it like that experience with this man really sunk into me where I was just like, man, I got to get my shit together, don't I? Because I can't even do therapy right. <laughs> I got denied by my therapist. Yeah, I got money back. I got eighty. I got cut off at eighty-six by a fucking psychiatrist. Well, he, also, he just cut me off because he said, "Come back, yeah, come back when you're not drinking, and I'll talk to you all day." You know, mm -hmm. I'll take your money gladly. And it's funny those moments you talk about being in the Black Forest, and um, and I've been to the Black Forest, yeah. and this bar was so poorly um decorated it everything. looked like a movie set it was so everything. everything looked rickety and looked just it was a really weird vibe everything does that place still exist no it's now a brunch a winery brunch bar called the Ooh. owl and thistle it has been gentrified <laughs> possibly for the better i don't know but probably dude that place um, is like that place is full of fucking what is it typhoid you know what i'm saying like bad it was, it was bad. 1800s disease <laughs> it was really bad so this place was terrible but i when you say when you have those moments i feel like a lot of us alcoholics i know that i did have these mini dramas where we sit in front of a drink whether it's at a bar or at home or wherever in under your car, a bridge yeah in your car bridge. Yeah, And we just go through these moments where we don't think, I think that's when 
I felt the most alone was when I was contemplating my life through the drinking and, right. and succumbing to it. And it seems so dramatic when we right. talk about well, yeah, it. But I was going to say, true. you don't even have to be alone to have that moment. You can have right. that moment around all your friends at wing night looking into your fucking eighth pint. But no, you're right. It does seem dramatic. But go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's just that 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 little bit of drama about where has my fucking life gone. Word. And it reminds me of, you remember the movie Boogie Nights? Yeah, you know that movie. It's a great movie. I love movie. that movie. Yeah. So in the second half of the movie, when um when Dirk Diggler and his friends are broke and they go to sell fake drugs to the crazy guy in the thong and the robe who's dancing to Sister Christian. Yeah, and the Chinese so, dude, the young Chinese man, is throwing fireworks. Yeah, he's throwing fireworks all over, and they're listening yeah, to it. Yeah. And at one point, the tension's getting really high, and it's a great yeah. scene that builds and builds and builds and builds. And at one point, the camera um, focuses in on Mark Wahlberg, on Dirk Diggler, and he goes from being in the room to kind of just that, like, 100-yard stare, and it holds on him for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And he's just staring off into space as if to say, how the fuck did I get here? Right. That right. moment, to me... If you go back and go find it so wherever, I got to find it out because I never took that until you right now when you said it. I'm like, that's it. That's that moment. And I didn't He just had that moment of my life has gotten to this point. And that's right. that's I think that we all have that moment at one. Maybe we have many of those moments. I don't know. I'm sure right. I'm sure I've had more than one. But the one that really made me stop drinking, I remember right. more, most of all. Um, But it's so heavy. Of them, you know, yeah, it's so also, heavy. I, I'd like to clarify too. I don't know if the young man was Chinese. I, he was a, Asian, but I had <laughs> right. Yeah, hey. I swear he had referred to him as a Chinese person. I just want to throw that out there. Anyway, let's continue with the message. Yes. So I don't want to be careless. I understand and I appreciate it, and I think yeah, our listeners appreciate it too. I love you, listeners. <laughs> so it's just I I really think that it's important to share those moments because they're real, and we all have them. We all have them. As alcoholics, we have all had them. As any type of addict, we've had them. I even believe that people who are not addicts have had those moments. They're just have a different, maybe a different fabric to them. Do you know what I'm saying? But mm -hmm. I feel like you can be a non-addict and sitting there going, what the fuck is my life? Like what behavior, what pattern of behavior am I repeating? But yeah. I guess that would be addictive regardless. Addiction is such a weird round word, man. It like, it like umbrellas so many things. So when you hear people say, oh, well, they're not addicted to sex or they're not addicted to gambling or video games, I'm like, it's repetitive, a pattern of repetitive behavior. That being that said, is, that is detrimental. Detrimental to your well-being, your health, your happiness, whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, your, your relationships. But we've all had them, especially as alcoholics, though. You and I have definitely had them. I think we've had them in the same fucking room, to be honest with you. <laughs> I really do. I I really made morning on the couch yeah, or popping off at two different times and being like, what oh. the fuck is my life? You know, or just me sitting at a table with you and a couple other people arguing about time travel and wanting to fist fight, you know, like and being like, what the fuck is my life? Like, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck is my life? And that just that I think that that's definitely a very those are gifts right yeah what a good way of looking <laughs> at it they are though they really are it's like peeking up above the, the you know what i mean peeking uh -huh. up above your like hedge to see what's going on like oh this is a different perspective like oh yeah, yeah this is not gonna you, you get to step out of yourself which is better a, a way that i think about my my moment of clarity is stepping outside of my own life like and being able to see those things that are going to destroy me yeah so, I I think that in those moments of what am I what's the word I'm trying to look for you're you're most vulnerable yeah mm -hmm. and also most open to suggestion mm -hmm. and some might say well I don't want to be vulnerable I don't want to be open to suggestion I don't want to be manipulated I don't want anybody getting in right. my head right. mm -hmm. and I understand that too because I was that way because I still felt pretty strongly and pig-headedly that whatever kind of program wasn't going to work for me. Right. Think of that word though. And then when you say manipulative or manipulated, mm -hmm. it's very interesting to me because I think that is in a way can be misconstrued as cult talk. Do you know what I'm saying? Cause sure. you're like, yo, we're working this program. 
they're just suggestions, you know, and, and, uh, which gives you that sense of freedom, like that sense of, uh, what do they call that? Um, it's a word everybody off uses. Off the hook? Not off the hook, but when you can do things on your own volition, it's like, uh, it's a biblical word. Yeah, oh. independence, that's fine. Free will. Why the fuck did I forget free will? But it gives you your own sense of autonomy and your own sense of free will, right? But then I can see the cynic in it because I, even though I was scared and wanted to recover, there was still this huge cynical streak in me where I didn't trust it. And part of me to this day still doesn't trust it a little bit. Do you know what I'm saying? The only thing I know that is the biggest thing that makes me trust it is that they're it's working and they're not asking me for money. So I'm like, okay, well, this isn't like a typical cult, though, because they don't want my time or my money. And if I'm working with someone who's pushing on me too hard and wants my brain fucking weird and playing head games, like I'll just ghost. Like, see you later. Like, I don't need mm-hmm. to be – do you know what I mean? Like, being manipulated in that sense. And those are all, like, really individual kind of experiences. I remember going to this big AA convention, right? And I know I'm naming the – we've just right. blown it. But anyway, went to this big convention – and everybody was so fucking friendly, and they all smiled at me, and I was treated really well. And the main speaker, it was like it was like 500 people there in this hall, and this main speaker, I ended up tattooing him earlier in the day. So it's like he just made me let me sit in the front and gave me a bunch of raffle. T- I've never been treated so fucking nicely by strangers. And I remember waiting in line to thank him, and this line like looped around the whole convention on the inside. It's like a big heavy hitter speaker, and this woman standing next to me. And she's just like, it's kind of weird, huh? And I look over, I'm, I'm like, what's kind of weird? And she's like, everybody's being so fucking nice. It's weird, huh? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, you don't trust it, do you? And I'm like, no, I don't. And she's like, neither do I. That's why we're all standing here. And it was just like this profound moment where we shared this thing. Because I think as alcoholics, I really can say that like there is a level of skepticism there. Even in recovery, I'm still skeptical of it. Mm-hmm. I'm still skeptical of people and of the recovery because I've seen desperation. I've been in it. I know what desperate people do. You've been in it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And regardless, whatever, whatever program you may or may not be working out there, like I, I think it's, it's different because I know for a fact, there are people who would, would disagree fundamentally with even the name of this podcast because oh, of course they don't believe that any one person is an alcoholic or not an alcoholic. This just right. is our perspective and our, you know, our point of right. view 100% about, you know, I I label myself that so that it keeps me Well, that's it. Well, why do I label myself an alcoholic? Ooh, this is a good this is a good point of topic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is great actually. So why do you label why, why do, you... do I label myself an alcoholic? I think I think because one I was I was taught, I was in a program that said, "Okay, we have to you know, when you talk about admitting you're powerless, mm-hmm. and this is just this is this is the the terminology we use. It makes the most sense to me. Yeah. It fall when I listen to other alcoholics and they tell their stories, I go, yep, yep. I never, I almost never say no. I almost never say, oh, that's weird, or oh, right. I don't understand that. Right? Is there right. ever? I'm never, I'm never in a speaker discussion meeting and go. Jesus, I don't relate to this at all. There's always right. something There's where always I'm some like some element oh. in there or some motivation in there that you yeah. And it it I think it keeps me grounded. I think mm-hmm. that there's a certain level of humility that comes with with being aware of my shortcomings and my 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 weaknesses and my inabilities, not so that I have to live and look at them in the mirror every single day, but mm-hmm. so that I can I can put them, I can compartmentalize them. I can put them in a box over here and I can focus more on the things that I can do and the, the strengths that I have, right? Yeah. So being a recovering alcoholic, which is more and more these days, not the, does not have the pariah effect that it used to, does not have the, I was gonna say stigmata, but the stigma. Right. The stigma, yeah, or the stigmata. <laughs> the stigmata. So I think that that is really why I call myself an alcoholic is because mm-hmm. it keeps me grounded. I mean, I would ask you the same question. Why would you? Well, I, I have to agree with you in a lot of that. And also, I mean, if I get down to the actual literal definition, like it's not that I was just physically addicted to alcohol, right? So while you're in the process of being physically addicted to alcohol, you're like an alcoholic. And then in a lot of people I've talked to, their minds is like, once you're done being physically addicted to alcohol, you're no longer an alcoholic. You're just recovered. And I'm like, yeah, but what about the emotional, spiritual element? The, the part of me that made alcohol my 
not just the physical element, but the part of me in my mind that made it like this my entire life and just this obsessiveness over it. Whereas when the physical, because what it take, I don't know, what is it, 30 days, 30 days for the alcohol to leave your system? Probably. Physically kick it after physically? a certain period of time. Yeah, physically kick it. Then what happens with all the shit that happens up in here that keeps telling you to return back to the mm-hmm. thing that you're physically addicted to? You know, so so for me, like the literal definition always rings true for me. Not only was I physically addicted to alcohol, I was emotionally and spiritually addicted to alcohol. It became my entire world. It became my wife. Like if alcohol were a lady, I'd be like, we're going to fuck, you know? Um, <laughs> she was, uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. But it's also a placeholder, man. It's it's a designation. So yeah, I guess part of me, I'm fuck about a label. I already have labels on me other than alcoholic. So in a way it is a label. It's a way I label myself. Just to let people know, like, hey, Jerry, you want a glass of wine? I'm like, let me tell you about my rock bottom. No, I'm just like, no, I just don't drink. And if they push it, I'll be like, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm a little too enthusiastic about this shit, you know? Like, whatever you like, want so to say. so enthusiastic that everybody in here can go fuck themselves because I'm going to take this, you know? Like, so it's it's just a it's just a word I use. It's not a, to me, it's not a weakness. It's given me strength because I yeah. understood, like, the nature of my being. I have that thing. That's my thing. Like, I get it. I get myself. And a lot of people don't get themselves, dude. And hey, man, they either figure it out or they don't. And I'm not saying I have it better than other. Part of me is going to be like, I got it better than y'all motherfuckers. But I really don't. I just understand myself now. And that's my word for understanding myself. I'll that's, go. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah. I It's that self-awareness, which is a I, huge, is is definitely a foundation for all of this stuff and for, mm-hmm. for building on it. And, um, you know, you said, you said you, you're like, once I'm physically, I'm not addicted, then I have to deal with the emotional and spiritual stuff in my head. So I think this goes back to you, the, the situation with the therapist who gave you the 50 bucks back is right. that <clears throat> many of the problems that I have still and had were not alcohol related, but I was never able to process them, put them through any sort of rigorous whatever inventory uh categorization um any i didn't i wasn't able to give them any sort of um uh what am i i wasn't able to process them at all because i was drunk all the time so those things can't even be dealt with they're 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 still there they're percolating they're brewing they're always ready to explode and again it's just whiskey on the fire so if you've got this fire in your head and this fire in your fucking that fire in your soul sounds like some Viking shit. But you know. that, I was going to say, it sounds like a 90s fucking grunge song. <clears throat> fire in your soul. It was on the Crow soundtrack. Um, it was. <laughs> um, so I think that that's, that's an important thing, too, that I was not able to focus on any of those other things, or at the very least, be aware of them. Right? Yeah. I mean, I always right. knew that I hated my father, but I never really right. tried to understand why. Or how to cope with that feeling because there's, to... it's a it's a complex fucking feeling. This coping mechanism is one of my favorite words. My sister Faith introduced it to me while I was slowly spiraling into my bottom in the summer. Mm-hmm. Like I would say like spring of 2014, my sister said, you need to find a new coping mechanism. You need to learn new ways to cope, you know? And I was just like, whoa, hit me that fancy psychiatry talk, you know? But it, it was like, it's complex, like how you feel about your dad or how I feel about things that yeah. happen to, have happened to me in the past. Like, not only do you feel these feelings of hate, but then you feel shame and guilt. And it's just all wrapped up in a big fucked up ball. And so your way of coping with it was numbing yourself to it. And now here I am analyzing you, right? I want that yeah. 50 bucks, right? Venmo. <laughs> but it was my way of coping with like what I dealt with growing up, you know, my insecurities and being raised in this culture of drinking and being raised, you know, with whatever, whatever reasons I have or gave myself to drink. Sure. That was my like coping mechanism. It was like, and so that always worked in the beginning until, you know, it's a physical substance that fucks your body up and then fucks your brain chemistry up and then it stops working. Just like when we talk about how you get flushed from wine and we'd be like, drink more wine, bitch. And you drink more wine to make those symptoms go to ignore the symptoms. It's like the basic example of like alcoholism right mm-hmm. there. You know, I don't feel good when I drink this. I should drink some more because it'll make, <laughs> it'll me, make me forget, feel, feel, be- forget. Make feel better or make me forget that I'm yeah. not feeling good. Yeah. That I'm not feeling good. Yeah. 
So, and at, at two, like, like you said, you drink when you're young. And I, I think that that's part of it because you, when you're younger, when I was, when I was a teenager, when I was, when I was 15, 16, 17, I didn't know what was going on and I didn't have any, I didn't have any mentors really. Right. Right. And so no drinking, showed you. Yeah, exactly. nobody showed me anything. So then yeah. alcohol comes in, boom. Oh, I'm all lit up. I'm ready to go. I've basically stopped developing. I stopped. Yeah. I stopped yeah. learning. Dude, my mom used to say that shit to me too. Like, this is all Jerry's family recollection. My parents are in recovery. They're mm -hmm. both, you know, they're both alcoholics and, and they've been sober for years, decades now. But my mom would always say, that's where you stop, right? You hit arrested, you arrest your development right there. And I always thought she was crazy. I'm like, bitch, I ain't no 17 year old. Mm -hmm. You know, but like still act like a 17 year old kid in my relationships and the way I would treat people. Yeah. Everything. The way that you look at money, the way that you look at, you know, right. yeah, business mm -hmm. relationships, right. anything. So, um, I, but I think it also over the course of 20 years has made me very stubborn about my need for alcohol. It was always the most important thing. Hey, right. don't get between me and a drink if you, right. if you, and we'll be fine. But as soon as you're going to tell me to stop drinking, I'm going to have to tell you to fuck off. I'm just going to ghost you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They'll just be like, or just ghost see you yeah. later, you know? <clears throat> and like, I we just I, won't I, hang out. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, so to be able to, to have to tell somebody or to be able to tell somebody, hey, maybe you should stop drinking or I don't think you can. Right. We, we know this, that it's it has to be a personal choice. And, and I think it tends to work. It tends to stick a little. Right. Better. <laughs> right. Right. And this is not this is not black and white. This is not right for mm -hmm. everybody. There's no blanket statements here. Well, I mean, they could, what do, what do they call that? Uh, the inter They could intervene, an intervention, mm -hmm. to have an intervention, and it could work. It could and stick, then, yeah. and you live, you see the other side, and you're like, all right, this will work, and then, but, mm -hmm. you know, telling someone to do something never doesn't, sometimes, especially that person's cynical and oppositional and very defiant, you know, they're going to be like, nah, you don't tell me. I tell me. You know. And if you're drunk, if that person's drunk, it's even worse. Dude, we would go out when Megan, when I, when my wife and I got together and I first brought her into the, our group, our little tight group, mm -hmm. we hung out for a little while and she'd gotten comfortable, been about six months, eight months a year. And, and we would go out and I would tell her, Hey, when I get too drunk, let me know. And I'll stop drinking. Cause I want to have fun. I don't want to end up with the hiccups all night smoking, being fucking wasted. And I'm fucking pissed off. Cause I'm, I let myself down again. So then she would tell me, I'd like eight drinks into it. She'd be like, you're getting a little loose, all right? And I'm like, cool. And then I'd have three more. I'll just need three more and then I'll get to where I need to get. And then I have the three more and be fucking hammered. And she'd be like, you're drunk. And I'm like, you don't fucking tell me when to stop drinking. Like I would get mad at her for telling me what to do. I get After you asked her to tell you. I'd be like, you don't fucking tell me when to stop drinking. I drink when I stop because I'm a fucking alcoholic. You know, we would have those fights. It happened twice, and the third time I asked her, hey, you know, forget, because I'd black out and, like, lose my shit. And the third time, she's like, no, dude, because you yell at me every fucking time. Like, yeah, so I'm just get... going to. Yeah, so I'm just going to kind of leave you wherever you're at and go hang out with Coda or whatever. Or mm -hmm. go sit with John and Coda while you sit at the bar and stew. <laughs> yeah, man. I, it's just, it's, 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 I think it's virtually impossible. I think it would have been virtually impossible for anyone to tell me. And it wasn't until that moment where I finally felt absolutely, I was pretty devastated. I was pretty broken. Like I was pretty much, yeah, this is not going to work anymore. And it's the only thing I ever had. I have to go right. find something else. But I was terrified because I didn't, again, I didn't want to stop drinking. I just wanted, I just wanted to find a way to drink. You wanted the work around. Yeah, I was yeah. totally looking for. Hey, it's for admirable. It. Like I have no problem with that. Like I'm like, mm. you know, if I weren't so scared, I would have wanted the work around too. And I think part of me wanted the work around. Mm -hmm. And I think too, I have this vague memory of calling you from that weird, that little Bukowski flat that I had in, in yeah. Napa. Mm -hmm. I remember the first year you were probably only a few months sober. And I remember calling you and I was drinking white wine and I was like, Jerry, I think I figured it out. And you're like, oh, yeah, tell me. I don't remember this conversation. I really don't. I, mean, I have to... some vague recollection of trying uh, to explain to you that 
if I just stick with the white wine and like, if I have like just two bottles of white wine and six <laughs> beers, like I, I had, yeah, it, I formula. had some, I had some formula that I was mm -hmm. certain because it had been quote unquote working, whatever, but you know, God knows what working looked like from the outside. God knows right. what my kitchen bathroom looked like. I used to just leave shit on the coffee table. Like when the coffee table got too full, I, I had a double, double decker coffee table. I would just put uh, it on the bottom, oh, move yeah. all the bottle cans. So like an ashtray would be packed full. So, I mean, quote unquote working, whatever that looked like in, uh, you know, objectively was probably horrifying. Right. But I remember having a conversation where I thought I had figured it out. Yes. And it had something to do with Pinot Grigio and, uh, I don't the, know, Lagan type. Yeah. It was like the alchemist. Like, you were fucking fighting the sorcerer's stone or whatever. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, this alchemy stuff. I think I made a Harry Potter reference. But, you know, like you had found the thing that you were like, I found the formula. I spun fucking lead into gold, my man. You know, and I'm, I don't remember the conversation, but I know the reasoning mm -hmm. behind it. Where I'm like, oh, here's the trick. It's fucking four whiskeys like a beer and a shot of rumplements and we're, you know, or whatever it was, you know? Yes. I remember but that. But the problem I, is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the problem is even if that worked perfectly that night, which we know it didn't, no, it doesn't work the next night. No. And it doesn't work the night after that. And even it's if you were riding high, yeah. Cause then you're like, Oh, I went through my four whiskeys, my beer and my rumplements and it's only nine o'clock and I'm doing great. Let's <laughs> fucking keep this gravy train rolling, you know? And yeah, I know. So yeah, I know it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, on that note, you calling me that picture you post on your Instagram of us together in like 2002, like what the fuck were we like, what the fuck? <laughs> we what? were joking. We were hanging out with, Devin. no, I know we were doing okay. the fucking, we were the R and B, but just us like physically, like, Oh, I yeah. would go home. My mom would be like, you look bloated. You look whiskey bloated. And I'm like, no, I don't. I look like me. And now I look at those pictures and I'm like, what the fuck dude? Like, Oh, we I just know. were just full of booze. And that was in 2003. We were young in 2003. That was, I don't think, because uh, I moved to Seattle in 03. That was more like 99 or 2001. I think it was like 2001 or okay. two. Okay. I was, yeah. So let's say it was 2001. I was like 26. And like, I was built like a fucking 50 year old. You know what I mean? Like, but just from booze, booze and eating like shit and chain smoking. Uh -huh. We thought oh we were God. just walk around in collared shirts being like, we're dressed up for the day, but we're just too sweaty <laughs> fucking drunk. 20, bloated 26 year olds just overweight just looking for a burrito and a good time burrito and a good time dude exactly see that should have been the name of your fucking biography there is burrito <laughs> just looking for a burrito and a good time oh, but that picture sick. i looked at it and showed it to my wife and she's like those glasses like my face was so big mm -hmm. the glasses looked like i had put on mr potato head glasses you know <laughs> just walking around with those on and not even just the physical aspect like i remember that drunk guy and that yeah, mm -hmm. he had a hard time, man. He was having a hard time. Where well, I'm sitting, I'm looking at a picture of me drunk right now. It's in my office. Oh, do you have a, a lot of those up? Or is that I have so many pictures of me back in the day taken. I was wasted way longer than I've been sober. So yeah, I mean there's not a lot of them. Well, yeah, there are actually quite a few of them up from my drinking period. But this one picture in particular, I'm very drunk in it. I know because I remember well, I remember the first half of that. But anyway, it's just so it? funny to look at it was this Halloween. No, but none of the viewers will see it, but it's this Halloween picture of Oh yeah. That guy. You're in the bunny suit. Yeah. So if I'm you holding a fucking drink in the picture. <laughs> so you know what's interesting too is is Jerry has a um he has a little bit of internet notoriety. Is it? I don't know. I guess it is. Well, if you go and Google I'm um, Star Wars boy. No. No, if you Google um man in a bunny suit smoking. Or like, is it like man in a bunny suit or something I like that? I always up sad, depressed bunny. Sad, depressed bunny or something like that. If you mm -hmm. just Google that, there's a picture of him that always pops up. I so think that, I'm, I used to be like number two on Google Images, <laughs> like, but I don't know now. You really got to copyright that thing, man. You should be getting paid for that. Oh, no, I don't show up anymore. Thank God. Okay. <laughs> Anyhow. For a while there. Oh, was, wait. No, there uh, I am. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, so, I'm like 12 or 14 down on the iPhone. Okay. I'm Actually, it's a Pinterest endless winter mix. <laughs> Every time this picture comes up, it's just, yeah, people are like, what the fuck is this guy's story? Uh-huh. 
That's what anyway. I think. That's a good. That's a good uh, way to describe my alcoholism was an endless winter, <laughs> endless winter mix. Endless winter mix, right? Yeah. Constantly cold and fucking confused. It's um, just the Bengals hazy shade of winter over and over again. Not mm-hmm. the original Bengals mm-hmm. cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and Bachman Turner Overdrive. Yeah, taking um, care. Of so I think that by far it. And the, the way that it's been explained to me and the way that I've seen it happen and the way that it happened for me was that I had to be, I had, it had to be my choice and it never worked when I felt like somebody was telling me what to do. Of course. Yeah. But like isn't it, that, I mean, that, would that just be human nature in general though? You think that it's not an alcoholic thing? I think so. I think, well, I think also it's a very, um, I don't know what alcoholic, you know, I don't know what recovery is like in other countries. In other cultures, I should say, but I feel like there's definitely there's a um, there is an American arrogance that exists. There is an arrogance and sense of independence, and and I I don't want to say that it's like necessarily always a negative thing, but there there's there's a lot of negative aspects to this sort of I'm independent. I do what I want. I make up my own mind. I'm a right. self-made man. Right. And I think that in the case of alcohol, for me, for sure, there it became this arrogance and this ego and this um, this thing that I was just like, there's no way you're not gonna you're not gonna tell me what to do. And now I have a you know basically a a list of rules that I live my life by, or I right. should say. I don't know what you call them, tenants, rules, suggestions, suggestions, right? <laughs> because yeah. I'm also not perfect every single day, and I falter yeah. and slip, and um, don't don't do exactly like I want to, and so I just I find that the suggestions seep in a little bit more, and figuring out a better way of living seeps in a little bit more when I'm not being told what to do. When I'm because of that, I think that Western arrogance that tends to pop up and pop certainly up, is, yeah. is inflamed by by alcoholism <clears throat> there's just aspects of that whole thing like that working that whole program that i really like where they say uh what is it it's progress not perfection you mm-hmm. know, we, we, that, and i i really have that really resonated with me because i my whole life i've really struggled with trying to be this like not perfect, but you know what I mean? The most ideal version of myself and be really hard on myself for not living up to my own potential, mm-hmm. the potential I set upon myself. You know, I always have this thing where I'm like, ah, oh, you're such a failure. Like you never did it the way you're supposed to do it. Never have. And now where it's more like now I fuck it up and I'm like, hey, at least I'm aware of it. and I'm progressing like I'm trying to figure it out and I may never figure it out. And that's OK, too, as long as I'm fucking making an effort to try to do better as a person you know i think that's what counts for me everybody's mm-hmm. different you know but but uh yeah i just and and i think that if you look at any if you pick up any book any program any whatever you want to call it like if you look at these things as suggestions and you i mean i don't i can't i can't tell anybody what to do i no. certainly can't um I, and i don't i don't know that <clears throat> I don't know that I have all the answers and I certainly, and that's the other thing is that even if somebody came to me for help and I could help them in the best of my ability, but I am ultimately not responsible for their progress, for their, for their ability to do what they need to do. That's entirely up to them. And so I, I, I just think that that's why it has to be a suggestion. That's why it has to be something that is not hammered home by somebody else well no nobody likes an edict nobody likes being told what to do you know right right yeah so i just um it's it it just works so well and so you know you talk about cultish and and i don't really care like what kind of program anybody else works and i know Mm -hmm. i've known people who got sober and came and talked to me and they shared a bunch of shit with me and they were sober for a little while and then And then they're back sipping on wine and smoking weed and like, you know, still dealing with whatever they're dealing with. And I'll, you know, check back in with them. And they're like, so, yeah, I think I'm back on the wagon for a while. I'm like, good for you. Right. um, You know, I don't want to be like, so like uh, what's different? What are you working on? You working on anything? 
Right. So, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to badger anybody. Well, there's but... no hard, hard fast rule for what an alcoholic is in in regards to that either. Do you know what I mean? Like I said, it's all kind of binary. It's all non-binary. It's all like radiations. Mm-hmm. As far as like your problem or whatever you're having a problem with, I know for me personally, this is what my problem is. So when I see people that go back out again and they're fine, which happens sometimes, you know, I've seen it happen. At least that's what they're portraying to me that they're fine because, of course, I'm skeptical about everything. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, more power to you. You figured it out on your end. Do you know what I mean? Like you figured out what is working for you. And if this is what is working for you, then good luck. You know, that's great. Yeah. 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 Because, I had one. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Because what? Oh, that's it, really. I mean, that's just people are. Everybody's different. We're all different. And and to that point, I had a friend here, um, who when I was early in recovery, he had been struggling with and trying to get sober, and he had for quite some time, and his was more health related, more like mm-hmm. I want to make sure he had some issues, and he was like, I need to get these, I need to get these issues dialed in. So he quit for a long, 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 long time. And I remember going, oh, wow, yeah, so I'm sober and I'm so glad to hear you're sober. And then it came up, either we were talking or texting or something that he had he had had a drink Mm -hmm. and I was so devastated and I didn't let on. But I was so devastated. Like, what do you mean? I thought we were doing this together. Like, we, oh, I, I finally, mm-hmm. I finally got it in my head that I was going to do this, and there was no other way but to do it completely sober. And I was never, I couldn't right. go back. That, and to this day, this person is no, is not interested in alcohol, doesn't drink, um, and that was, you know, just part of their process. Right. Mm-hmm. So that the and that everybody is so absolutely different that it doesn't, I. I can't impose my ideals on that person right. and expect them to live the life that I'm trying to lead. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it goes the other way too. It reminds me of, uh, you know, it reminds me of that you, a story you told me about, a, you know, someone we, someone like someone we know that had gone through a really hard breakup and decided to move down to your part of the country to mm-hmm. like commiserate with you over the breakup. And because you were like a stable person to be around and, and you were sober and they were fucking fucked up about it because they were like, wait, you were supposed to get it was supposed to be business as usual. Mm-hmm. And you kind of switched it up on me, you know? Yeah, I remember hearing that story, too. I, it, it's rare for me to run into anybody. I mean, nowadays, that looks so drastically different anyway. Things have changed. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, they're like, oh, he's obviously not getting fucked up all the time anymore. But <laughs> it's super rare for me to run into anybody who's like. Hey, you want to go get fucked up with me? That knows me, you know. I've, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe they, I don't know. Maybe it's my fucking I'm a recovering alcoholic T-shirt that I wear well, all the time. I I think you just you look so much healthier. And... Exactly is what I mean. <laughs> is I look healthier, so they're like, oh, this dude's not fucking drinking a bottle of whiskey every night and smoking he... pack and a half of cigarettes. And you look so much healthier that even like a year ago when you when you lost all the weight, mm-hmm. people would come up to me and they're like. I saw Jerry on on Instagram the other day. Is he okay? Because he's yes, really he, thin. Is he, really dying? is he dying? And I was I'm like, like, no, I'm, we all are, baby. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Uh, the world is just a giant hospice with fresh air, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. What is that from? from? We were just laughing. From Doctor Sleep. This is Doctor Sleep. That's what. So, it was. and I. This is another thing I want to say before we go. Is you're going to be hearing this. This will be Friday when mm-hmm. this comes out, and. On Tuesday, Jerry and I are going to be on the VH Us podcast. Hell yeah. Dirk Marshall. Mm-hmm. Dirk is an old friend uh, from we we partied God, yeah. off 20 years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he does a podcast that takes movies. And he, he's a big horror movie. He worked in a video store. I think his dad owned a video store. In, I think that's what it was, yeah. Where? Yeah. In Eugene or Salem or Portland or somewhere. Uh I don't know. But so he's big on horror movies, but movies in general. And so his podcast is take a movie and then take somebody in the movie and find somebody in real life that has the same profession. So in a very loose. um, Uh, uh, Because basically Dr. Sleep is about a guy who works in hospice care, but who's also an alcoholic. Yeah. So we're the we're the guests on the podcast to talk and about our profession alcoholism. was alcoholism. <laughs> but yeah. I understand though it's not necessarily the profession, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, he had, we had written each other, and he 
you know, he was like, it was great having you on. I want to have you guys on again. And I'm like, well, if you ever need, a, you know, you ever need the perspective from two drunks, like hit us up. Cause yeah. Yeah. But I just so, thought that was pretty funny. Cause I was like, you ever do another one with a, with a drunk, me and mm-hmm. Johnny, we'll talk to you all day about drunks and other uh, things too, but yeah. Sure. Um, but we're going to be on the podcast on Tuesday. So yeah, hell yeah. VHUS, VHS. Is um, it VH.US? VH.US. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we talk about Dr. Sleep and it went on um, a little bit longer than I thought, but it's a long ass movie. And so we went through the movie and we basically break it down scene by scene. That being said, on that same day, I'll be releasing our movie review of Dr. Sleep. So Damn. you can listen to it from both ends and um, get it from both, get, get Eiffel Towered by that shit. Get, both get it from both ends. <laughs> I, I just think that the the importance of suggestion is that you can't. What is the joke? You can tell an alcoholic, but you can't tell him much. Have you right. read that one? No, I yeah. haven't. Oh, okay. Um, it's just it's not going to be possible for 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 me to tell somebody, you know, uh, I, everyone around me, I don't want to say everyone, but a lot of people around me have gotten sober, you know, our friends of ours are, you know, either dealing with it now, um, have been for several years, you know, we had Coda on the podcast and like, there were numerous times where I would talk to these people and they were still drinking and I wasn't. And I wanted to be like, Hey, what are you doing? Don't you understand? Don't you know? But that would not have gotten through. No. So simply, I think too, like being, just being an example and being, being available and being ready to, to listen, I think is probably. That's the best thing. Yeah. You know, being an example is the best thing. Telling people don't, nobody wants to hear anybody preach anyway. Even me and my sobriety hate listening to people preach at me. I'm like, (laughs) give me a Give it a rest. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like you're you never know. You you may not think anybody's watching, but there's people that are that that are watching me. Right. I mean, friends that you and I that you and I know are watching both of us and then go, oh, and then this person got sober and then this person got sober. Fuck. I'm losing all my friends. And it's like, well, not exactly. You don't have to. And that's not true. But Mm -hmm. this is just a suggestion as. You go, well, I'm going to be that age in a couple of years or whatever it is. Like, maybe there's something to this. And I hope that when, if and when those people come around, that they'll have a better support system for them than I did or that you did. You didn't have yeah. anybody. I mean, I mean, that's not entirely true. You had you had your wife who was she was supportive. Right. Of I had was, my family. I, I got really lucky in that I had a really supportive <laughs> wife and really patient wife. Yeah, she's incredibly mm-hmm. patient. And I had my parents, you know, my parents yeah. had been through this whole thing themselves. And, and uh, yeah, man, I don't know if it was higher power or what, but it just something had kept putting people in recovery in front of me, even while, you know, even before I recovered. So yeah. I knew I could reach out, you know, to some of those people and ask for help. That was that was a big thing was asking for help. I still hate asking for help, but I do it, you know. I understand. I mean, nobody wants to. I think there's that feeling of weakness and vulnerability is really yeah. scary, right? Yeah. Even yeah. for little yeah, things. Yeah, man. I just, I hate not even being weak. I just hate being a bother. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to impose on you, but... I've got this massive drinking problem. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, and you know, there's there there are no shortage of people who are waiting to help you too. Right. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's right. another thing that's important. Not just not in just not only in the program that you and I belong to, but in any number of in general. Ways. Yeah. In I general. think there's a lot of helpful people out there. I think there's shitty people and helpful people. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would like to think that there are more helpful people than shitty people, but you never know. Yeah. Who knows? That's not really for me to pontificate on in this hour of the Rona. No. Yeah. But everything's good. You're feeling good. Everyone's I'm feeling still... good, man. Yeah. Everybody's healthy. I'm going to order some barbecue tonight from uh, somewhere. Taking care, Taking care of business. Taking care of business. TCB in it, dude, with Bachman. Oh, no, that's not Bachman Turner. No, that is Bachman Turner. Yeah. 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 We were just uh, talking Kath- about that. Lots happened. Kathleen Turner Overdrive. Kathleen was Turner Was that a band overdrive. or was that just a. 
Was it a no, joke? That was, that was a joke in a, okay. a movie in um, High Fidelity. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, right on, man. May yeah. I suggest that we do this again next week? Sure. You doing good? You healthy? You happy? Yeah, I'm fine, man. I think I think I got uh, I think allergies uh That's tend probably to bother me is. this time of yeah. year. Yeah. And so I'm mm-hmm. getting like all these little dry yeah. uh, what's that? There was there were some cat paws coming underneath the door behind you. <laughs> oh yeah, there's definitely a cat that wants in. Uh, but yeah, man, I'm good. Spot. I'm good. Yeah. I'm still I'm out there being safe in my running. I I carry a bandana with me just in case. I got to do like cover up, and yeah. I've got my little squeeze bottle of uh, hand sanitizer in my fanny pack in my yeah. my running belt. So, um, yeah, all is well. All right, man. And we'll do this again next week. Yeah. All right, Johnny. All right, later, Jerry. Right, and later. listen to uh, listen to VHS. Yeah, on Tuesday. VH, VH dot us. Yeah, check VH them out. Us. Yeah, cool. All right. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at asforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>